0: Matthew chapter 6. And uh, we're going to look at three verses tonight. Moreover, verse 16, Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou when thou fastest, anoint thine head, and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Now, what we're doing here as we move through Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount, we are... Uh, have divided this message up into several points to, to make it a little easier for us to understand. As Jesus started out, He gave the Beatitudes, the blessings, what God wants to do in our lives. Then comes the result. You are the light of the earth. You're the salt of the earth. We have to understand. Jesus did not come to destroy or negate the laws of God. He fulfilled them. Amen? And he shows us how he fulfilled them as he contrasts his fulfillment of those laws with the Old Testament understanding, which wasn't Bible at all. Again, you have to understand the religion of the Jewish people in Jesus' day was basically dead orthodoxy. Well, actually, it had far moved from orthodoxy. I hate to use that word because it has come to mean things that God never meant it to mean. It it was dead tradition. And really in modern day language, orthodoxy and tradition are equal terms. Uh, God does not want our religion to just go through the patterns. To just be an outward symbol. And repeatedly, through these four things that Jesus deals with, and uh i I' thought and thought on this and tried to okay why when Jesus deals with issues of worship, did he only deal with these four things? He dealt with giving, prayer, forgiveness, and fasting and i said why why not deal with the assembling of ourselves together? Why not deal with uh, uh the preaching? Why not deal with other things and Uh, I've come to two major conclusions and they are going to be astounding. Uh, One is, you take care of these things and the other things will fall into place. They don't need any help. Amen? You come to church for the right reasons. That deals with your giving, your prayer, your forgiveness. And you're fasting. Amen. The rest of it just kind of falls into place. We'll have the right heart attitude if we'll deal with these issues. And the other astounding thing is, Jesus didn't tell us and so we don't need to worry about it. Amen. There's so much in the Bible that we spend our time trying to figure out and it doesn't make a dime's worth of difference in your relationship with God. Amen? Don't waste your time. I've told people this many times. Uh, Don't waste your time studying the Bible and trying to gain knowledge from the Bible that will not change the way that you live tomorrow. That is the difference between false Bible study and... And real Bible study. I had my last class in my church history course Monday. I am very happy about that. Uh, But today I checked my email and the final exam was there. So pray for me. I got two weeks. I can't look at the final exam or open the file. Not supposed to and I won't. Um, But I've got to study and I've got to take the test. And then send it back. And if he is as gracious in greeting the last test as he was this one, I I should pass the class fairly easily. Uh, So we'll see uh, what happens. But we have studied the history of professing Christianity in this class. And I'll tell you what, it has been an eye-opening experience for me. I've been able to... Make a lot of connections i've I've studied the history I've studied things, but being in the classroom with a teacher who's spent his whole life studying these things it's it's really been helpful and I hope and pray that you'll see the difference and and uh, and uh, allow me to continue and as we pursue uh, there's another nine classes left to the first degree and uh, about another Uh, What is it? If you want a doctor for a pastor, I think there's about 55 more classes. And uh, hopefully we can get them done in about 10 or 20 years. Uh, I am not in a hurry, all right? Hopefully Jesus will come and deliver us from that. Amen. But... In the last class, as we studying the history of professing Christianity from the time of the apostles up until the pre Reformation, one of the things that the last subjects that we covered in preparation for the second class, which goes from the Reformation to the present, is what they call the scholastic movement. Now, what happened was people in the Roman Catholic and Orthodox hierarchy, began to realize that they needed to study more. Many of the priests were illiterate. They could not read anything, let alone the Bible. The only thing they knew was tradition. And this is why you have so many strange and sundry myths and Practices coming up where you sprinkle holy water on your thatched roof to keep it from leaking uh, a little tar would do a lot better. But they sprinkle holy water. Every once in a while, I think I've gotten a dozen calls over the years. Uh, Pastor, do you, does your church have a uh, have a service where you bless houses and bless our apartment? Do you know where that comes from? It comes from the medieval practice of not living in a house until the priest comes and sprinkles holy water in it to chase all the demons out. And I kindly tell them, no, we, we don't do that. Uh, we want God to work in your life, and if He works in your life, then you don't have to worry about those things. Amen? Uh, you, and and uh, their scholastic movement led to great... And when I mean great, we're talking tens of thousands of thought hours here on such important things as how many angels can dance on the head of a pin. If when they are giving the sacraments of the Lord's Supper, which of course is not biblical at all, a crumb of the wafer were to fall to the floor and a church mouse were to eat it, he would actually be receiving... The body of Christ would the church mouse be regenerated by receiving uh, that sacrament? And they argued, "I'm, I'm, you cannot believe." Centuries, generation from generation, these things were continued. And you say, "That's ridiculous." Yes, that's where false reasoning. And false um, education will take you. And one of the great connections that I was able to that was made in my mind was there was a great emphasis restored to what we call logic, which we are seeing in today in in quote unquote Christianity today. We have a movement that says, "Listen." We can logically prove that there is a Christ. Well, reason would demand that there is a Creator. You look at a universe they claim is 13 and a half billion light years across. Now can anybody fathom 13 and a half billion light years? Uh, I mean, the only thing that we can use that approaches these numbers, in fact, exceeds them, is the deficit of the uh, new administration. Uh, But um, shall we go to a kinder subject? Excuse me. Is it okay to laugh once in a while? Now... Reason would tell us the perfect timing in the order of our universe demands a creator. It is logical. A plus B equals C. I have a wristwatch. It keeps time. If I don't drop it. Because there are hundreds of little parts in there that are all connected, and one of the things that I know is that somebody put this together. One of the believe, one of the founders of evolution said, "If we took all the parts to a Swiss watch, now remember, in the late eighteen hundreds, all watches had that little spring." mainspring in it. Has anyone here experimented with a mainspring in a watch? Because if you touch that thing and uncoil the spring to any degree or overcoil the spring to any degree, that watch will never ever keep time. Now, this evolutionist said, You say, Pastor, how do you know that? Um, Don't ask what I destroyed, but I know that, all right? He said, if you took the parts of a watch and put them in a box and shook them until you heard a tick, that's how long it would take evolution to occur. But let me ask you a question. Every part of that watch was intricately, intricately made to fit and join together to make the watch operate. And I dare say, with that little mainspring in there, about the third shake, the mainspring would be dead forever. Uh, but this is what they said. But here's the question. Where did they get the parts? How did they get all cut in the right place? Place, in the right size in the right relationship with each other. It is a ridiculous and beyond absurd, somebody went through and did the math and said that is a technical impossibility. It is a mathematical improbability. The numbers are way too long. It won't I mean if we were to write out the number, it would be longer than I can stretch my arms in small print. We don't have that many years to, for evolution to have happened. Logic tells us this. But here's the point we're make. I want to make. No one has ever or will ever be saved because of logic. Because if you can logically reason out God, you have created a God that's small enough for your logic to understand. And that cannot be the God of the Bible. Do we get that? That cannot be god of the bible now the god of the bible is very logical we could explore this universe in hundreds of ways and every one of them demand a creator it's not that god is illogical you see that is the opposite of the scholastic movement is the mystic movement you can't understand god you got to feel him no God offers a very simple alternative. And it's right here. You read it. And you believe it. Amen? Now we're dealing with religion. We're dealing with what our religion is about. And God is saying, listen, Jesus says He is preaching here and teaching. He says, when you give... Don't give so other people can see. When you pray, don't you pray so that other people will hear your prayers and think that you are a good prayer. You need to forgive. Now, let me tell you you meet a forgiving spirit, and it's a wonderful. Experience, Amen? But people who are forgiving. When is the last time the president called somebody into the White House and said, I want to give the American Medal of Freedom the highest award that the president can confer upon any non-military personnel to this person because they're such a forgiving spirit. Let me tell you, it will never, ever happen. Because forgiving people are not considered great in any stretch of anybody's imagination or anybody's yardstick. In fact, they're often considered weak. Uh, Could I go back to the word uh, meek? Oh, boy. You see, Jesus is taking these Beatitudes and he is re-putting them through every point on the message. And we get to this thing called fasting. And I, I have tried to preach on fasting over the years. We've tried to spend time explaining uh, what it is. And and this is one of those subjects that I feel like no matter how many Times I explain it, no matter how much time somebody's going to say, now, Pastor, what did you say about fasting again? Uh, because it really doesn't compute. It's it's one of those things that we don't uh, we don't get because it's not natural. It's not normal. Now, it is normal in some circles because they use this thing called self denial to bolster. Other people's opinion of themselves. How many of you remember the pole sitters? We studied about this in the 60s and 70s. There were a group of people that would climb poles and sit there for certain periods of time so they could get into the Guinness World Book of Records. Or, But that's nothing new. There was this fella. Oh boy, I should have got brought my syllabus. I could have given you names and dates, uh, but this goes back to the third and fourth century BC. And this fella in Egypt piled up a pile of rocks about ten feet high and sat on the pile of rocks. And everybody came by and said, "What are you doing?" And he wouldn't talk to them. It basically became known that he was trying to seek God. And for the next 40 years, he sat on this pile of rocks. And the longer he sat, the higher the pile got. I guess he wanted to be separated from the world or something. By the time he died, he sat atop a 60-foot-high stack of rocks. And he spoke very, very rarely. And everyone came around and said, Wow how religious this man is and how wonderful he is. We have some religions where people will shut themselves up for 10 or 20 years and not speak. There are certain orders in the Christian monastic or the monastery movement where the monks will not talk to any other human being, sometimes for 10 years. At a stint. Now let me ask you. Other than people running around saying. Wow. Look at that person. What has been accomplished? Other than the fact we don't have to read the stupid things they're going to think about. For the last ten years while they said nothing. Uh, That's the only bright spot to this thing. Uh, But. This is what was going on in the Jewish religion and in every dead traditional faith known to mankind. People were trying to do things that would make others look at them and say, wow, he or she is spiritual. Now, Jesus said, when you come to this thing called fasting, now, he starts over here in verse 16. He says, "Moreover." Now, that word more over, just take it apart. What does the word more mean? It means in addition to. When you hand your plate back and say more, please, at our household, that means you've enjoyed what you got, but you would like a little additional. And mom says you've already had thirds. You don't get any more. But more just simply means more. Amen? Over means that we're moving just a little bit. It just means a sidewards movement here. Move over. So, moreover, Jesus is saying, listen, in addition to everything we've talked about worship, we've talked about your giving, we talked about your prayer, we talked about your forgiveness... Now, we're going to add one more thing. We're talking about fasting. He says, Moreover, when ye fast. Now, that word when is a word that denotes that there is a continuation in action that this is going to take place. I mean, we use that word often. And... Jesus says, when ye fast. It was understood that there was going to be a time when the Christians were going to fast. Now, let's turn to Matthew chapter 9 very quickly. And boy, oh boy, we are not going to get through this tonight, but we're going to try. Matthew chapter 9, verse 14 Then came to him the disciples of John, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast off, but thy disciples fast not? Now, again, there was fasting going on in the Jewish tradition, in the Jewish religion. Fasting is a Bible principle. It was used often. I wish we could take time and maybe we will just spread this lesson out and look through Several different passages where fasting is spoken about and how it was used and all of that in the Bible. But they they came, the disciples of John the Baptist said, Now, Jesus, we fast a lot. And we're in agreement with the Pharisees. They fast a lot too. But we've been watching you. you and your disciples haven't missed any meals. And we're trying to figure this thing out. Now, Jesus made a statement here. Look at it. And Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them, and then they shall fast. You don't fast on your wedding day. That is not what your wedding is all about. It's supposed to be a time of joy. Amen? It's supposed to be a time of great happiness. And Jesus said, listen, I am here. There's no need to fast while I'm here. But I'm going to be taken away. And when I'm taken away, they're going to fast then. Because they're going to need to. Let's go to Mark chapter 9. Jesus gives us a reason here. Do you remember the story? If you, Jesus was with the three disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration. When he came down, they came to him and there was a man that had a son that was possessed by a demon. And he came to Jesus and he said, listen. He said, I... I took him to the scribes and the Pharisees. I took him to the, uh, even to your disciples. And nobody could cast this demon out. And Jesus called the man. And of course, Jesus spoke. And the demon left the young man. And the disciples, we come down to verse... 27, But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. And when he was come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could not we cast him out? And he said unto them, This kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. If you're dealing with a serious and and difficult situation in your life. We have a lot that goes around for spiritual warfare today. I have yet to read a book on spiritual warfare that says, spend time on your knees with God praying and fasting about this situation and continue your regular service for God. That's what Jesus is going to say here in the Sermon on the Mount. If you want want to win the battle, this is where it happens. You see, prayer was never designed to be an end in itself. Prayer is communication with God. Amen? And as we communicate with God... Does God need to be changed? Does God need to be helped? Does God need anything? No. We do. Amen. It gets us out of the way so God can do His work. Amen. This is what prayer and fasting is truly about. That's why we're having a church-wide day of prayer and fasting. And because it should be done. If we want God's power in our lives, in our church, this is something we need to be involved with. The early church fast Jesus fasted. It says he was driven of the Spirit into the wilderness and fasted 40 days. Now, please, just take a bit of advice from your pastor. Don't try a 40-day fast. Okay? There is no biblical requirement on time. There are very few biblical requirements about fasting. And if we have time, we'll get into some of those tonight. If not, we will in two weeks. Uh, I'll be in Oklahoma next week. Uh, I uh talked to Brother Horton today, and uh, Brother Horton's going to preach next Thursday night. And so, uh, if, you're, if you've heard Brother Horton preach, you've enjoyed him. He's always uh, enjoyable to hear preach, and he'll be here next Thursday night. But uh, we'll just pick up two weeks down the road, and we'll keep moving with this thing. The early church fasted and prayed. It was part of their activity. It was part of their worship. Do you think that it was coincidental that fasting and prayer were part of the worship of the early church when Jesus spoke about both of those things right here in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 on the Sermon on the Mount? It shouldn't be coincidental. Amen? It shouldn't be unusual. It should be Exactly what we find ourselves doing today. One of the great things just that, that we went over in this class that I just took was sometimes I found myself going back to history and trying to argue from history about certain things. Do you know that arguing from history is one of the weakest positions that you can take? History is often like mathematics. Figures never lie, but liars figure. What we get when we study history is we get one person's view of what happened. And we don't know what that person's... Often his prejudices are. We might find just a little bit here or there. We try to understand history, but let me tell you how you try to understand history. You start where you live in the year 2009 and try to evaluate life in the year 541. Can I challenge you? You will never come to an honest or proper conclusion because you don't know what it was like to live in the year 541 and you have no way of finding out. If you read... um, Oh, I can't remember the guy's name. Uh, For Christmas, my daughter got me uh, the autobiography of Ronald Reagan. I enjoyed reading that. There's another biography by Ronald Reagan. It's called Dutch. And it's one of the meanest and most hate-filled recounting of the days and life of President Ronald Reagan. Now, if you read the one and then read the other, you would have to think it was talking about two entirely different people. I read the introduction to the other one and I said, I'm not going to put up with this guy maligning President Reagan for the next 800 pages of this stupid book. I'm not going to read it. I've already read what he said about his life. And I'm old enough to remember most of the things that he did as president. And I'll tell you what, my recollection of facts and history... Fits very well with his recollection of facts and history. So I'm going to leave well enough alone. How about that? We don't argue from history, we argue from the Bible. The Bible is God's standard of truth. I don't have to have the approval of history in order to have God's approval. But I'd better agree with what this book says. Do you see the difference? I mean, you have to stop and think about that a little bit. We're, we're not just skimming over the surface tonight, we're trying to delve a little deeper into things. Uh, I like you to think about things. But it's not a coincidence. Then in Acts chapter 13, if we'll just turn there for a moment, and this is probably where we'll end. Acts chapter 13. we have a recounting of what was going on in the early church. Now there were, verse 1, Acts 13, Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manan, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted. Now this is important. They did not just fast. They ministered to the Lord and fasted. Ministering to the Lord included a lot of things. We started out, and some of you may remember this. I remember this sermon, but uh, I preached for four weeks on these four verses. There were in the church. Uh, That's where things start, amen? Amen. They were holding services. That's how they ministered to the Lord. They were taking up offerings. That's one of the ways they ministered to the Lord and to each other. They were doing the works that Jesus had told them to do. They were studying the Word of God. That's how they ministered to the Lord. And in addition to doing those things, they fasted. You see, if you just fast and pray all by yourself, it becomes an empty ritual. It's meant to be a part of your service and your worship. And remember, your worship is integrated. It is integral, is the word, with your life. If your worship is not part of the way you live, then it's not biblical worship. My worship to God should be a reflection of His work in my heart in the way that I live. Today we have this thing called worship teams. And if you've been around here very long, you know what I think of worship teams. Uh, The worship leader is not someone who gets up here and says, Let's sing for Jesus today. That's not worship. Brother Franz, when he leads the music, is not the worship director. The preaching of the Word of God, the pastor, is our word. I am the worship director. The most important time of worship in our service is what we call the time of invitation. And you know what? When we start getting in the time of invitation, there's a group of people. Whew, it's over. Let me get my coat on. What am I going to do when I leave? And let me tell you, that has nothing to do with worship. Worship is the way I live. This fasting ought to be part, just like my prayers ought to be part, of how I live. That's the way it was in this church. They ministered to the Lord and fasted. And as they did this, the Holy Ghost said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. God reached down and He took two men out of that church who were serving and leading in that church and preaching and teaching God's Word. And He said, I have a special place of service for these men. You know, I'm still praying that God's going to reach down and pull somebody out of our midst and send them somewhere. It, who knows? Um, it may be right here. I mean, we have two young ladies graduated Bible college and, and uh, they're serving. I mean, we would be in trouble. It would be difficult if you two weren't here. Amen? You do things to serve and help. And it's a wonderful thing. I can't wait till we send a missionary somewhere. Now, we got one by proxy, Brother Davis. He said, Pastor, I want to become a member of your church, and I want you to send us out, and you to organize us, and you to be our controlling authority. And we voted them into the membership of our church and immediately sent them back to Fleshman's, New York, where they live, to serve the Lord there. Amen? So we've we've seen that just a little bit. But what did they do? They fasted and prayed some more. And then they laid their hands on these men and they sent them out. And the next verse says, so they being sent forth by whom? How many of you know the verse? By the Holy Ghost. Did the church send them? Absolutely. Did the Holy Ghost send them? Absolutely. How did that work? Their worship. Under the influence of the Holy Spirit of God. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, God began to move in their midst. Amen. This is what we want to see happen. It's not a coincidence that Jesus preached about these very things in the Sermon on the Mount. And we look at the church in Antioch and we see these very same things being repeated. Amen? And guess what? We look at ourselves. Open door Bible Baptist Church removed by many centuries in the year two thousand and nine, separated by thousands of miles geographically from the city of Antioch. And what do we want to see? We want to see ministering to the Lord. Amen. Now I don't know how we've done how I've allowed this to happen, but we have more missionaries scheduled this year. But How many of you would want to do without Brother Masters? How many of you would want to skip Brother Talavar's presentation a couple weeks ago? I mean, every missionary we've had has been a blessing, have they not? And we've been able to, uh, we sent Brother Talavar out with a, we try to never send a missionary away without at least giving them a $250 love offering, even if they're in the other churches. That's not bad for one service. That that'll help them on their way. It'll pay their expenses and, and get them to the next church and we're praying. Now, other people gave and and, and we've more than doubled that for Brother Talavar. I think the total offering ended up being almost let's see, two hundred and eighty two that's three hundred and thirty two plus two hundred and fifty. So whatever that works out, five hundred and eighty two dollars, I think. That's credible, amen. And uh, we we want to be a blessing. You say, why don't we give them more? Well, one of the reasons we don't give them more is because we have about 35 checks that have to be printed every month and sent out, totaling nearly 4,000 other dollars. And so we want to be careful that that money's still there to continue supporting the ones we support. And we've got another missionary coming in. uh, The next missionary is coming in is June 3rd, and then we have another missionary coming in June 14th, and then we have the Wells coming in in October. And I have a note, some some missionary named Tom Leclerc that I have no idea who he is, where he's going, uh, where. Where he's coming from, because he didn't give me any information. He said, I'll call you back, preacher. So I put it on my calendar. He's coming in September or August. And that's all I know. So I hope he contacts me. Pray about that. But that's one of the ways we minister to the Lord. Amen? We have prayer meeting every Sunday night. And have for years and years. Somebody sent me an email. Say, God has given me a burden to tell churches to pray. We need to pray for our administration. And I sent him an email back and said, dear brother, I said, our church has been doing this ever since we've been a church. Maybe some of what you're messing with isn't a real church. But we pray every week because it's what God tells us to do. And guess what? We want to do some fasting too. Because it's in the Bible. Amen? And we got through point one. Am I going too slow? Okay, good. We'll just put her down into low and keep moving. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your goodness. We thank You for Your love. We thank You for Your Word. And Lord... We want you to work in our midst the same way you did in the New Testament record. Lord, we don't want to look to history and say, well, we're just like the Cleveland Baptist Church in Cleveland, Ohio. Or we're just like some, such a church that existed in the year 500 A.D. Lord, we want to look to your word. And we want to be what your word says we ought to be. We want our worship to affect the way we live each and every day. We ask that you would do the work in our life to make our prayers acceptable in your sight. Lord, that our giving would be a true act of worship inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. Lord, as difficult as the issue of forgiveness is to deal with, We ask that our forgiveness would reflect the love of God. Lord, we pray that we would not look to be great in someone's list, but that our religion would be faithful and according to Your Word. That one day we may bring great praise to Your holy name. We ask You to work during this time at the end of our service. And help each one of us here dedicate ourselves to biblical worship. In Jesus' name we pray. And before we.